Well, good morning. It's a good morning. I think there's just a couple housekeeping things we need to acknowledge. First was that yesterday our worship center was full because Fuller had its graduation. And I know that Karen Johnson graduated. Karen, congratulations. And Brett, where are you, Brett? Brett Corton, one of our high school interns, Lindsay, Mark Castro. This was a good class for us, and there's probably others. So if you graduated from Fuller or you just want to get a round of applause for any reason, go ahead and shoot your hand up. But we are so thankful. The second thing I want to do, and and they're going to kill me, but Greg does it, so I think it's okay. But I'm just super thankful this morning because all the way from Ventura, my folks are here. So mom and dad, you could raise your hand. They love attention. Yeah. Well, it's good to be with you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to uh, to go into the text we just read. And it is a it's a great story. It's a great narrative. Um, And when I was a kid, I remember going up to a forest home about second grade. Maybe you've read in the letter or seen online, but I, I don't remember much about the week of camp at Indian Village at forest home. But I do remember every night. After a a dinner, we would go to this campfire, and there would be a fire, and there'd be skits, and and there was one song that stands out to me, one one song that I remember, and many of you know this song if you've been around church or been around kids' ministry, but it's this echo song where the the lead singer would say, fear not, and then everybody would stand up and go, fear not, for I am with you, fear not, fear not. I don't really remember anything else about that week of camp except that song because it was like the one moment during that night where they made us sit and listen for a long time where we got to be kids, where we got to jump out of our seats and scream at the top of our lungs, fear not. And as I've looked at this scripture and prepared for this week, I am thankful that that's the one piece that I remember from summer camp as a second, third grade kid. Because the reality is this, is that you and I are people who fear a lot of things. And that's what this scripture is about. And this morning we're going to look at Moses and we're going to look at what he asks God. And I think what we're going to find is that Moses is very similar to you and I. He's somebody who has a lot of fear. And just like the lyrics of that song, which actually are found in Isaiah, we will find that God's response to his people has been consistent from the beginning to the end of scripture, where he tells us to fear not, for he is with us. So will you join me in prayer? God, this morning we come before you, thankful to be here. I pray, God, that this morning each one of us would allow our ears and our minds and our hearts to hear and respond to the Scripture. God, that we would be able to get to a very honest place in our soul and in our mind about our lives and the role that fear plays. Oh, and God, that we would hear your words to Moses and that they would be words to us this morning as well. Amen. To catch you up to speed, if you haven't been here, you're not familiar with the book of Exodus. Uh, We're in chapter 3 through the middle of uh, chapter 4 is a one conversation, one moment that Moses has with God. And God appears to Moses uh, in the image of of a burning bush. And Pastor Greg has done a marvelous job helping us understand that last week and uh, Moses kind of gets his marching orders. He he finds out from God what God wants him to do, the mission that God has for Moses. And the mission is this, is is God telling Moses, uh, the Israelites, that group of slaves, that group of people who is being oppressed, I'm choosing you, Moses, 
to be the one to go liberate them. I'm choosing you, Moses, to be my servant to an oppressed people. And I'm going to use you to set them free. And just two verses earlier from what we read this morning, we see Moses' first response to God. uh, His first response to the mission that God has called him to. And if you recall, his response is, well, who am I? Why would you pick me? And God responds to Moses. And that's where the scripture catches us today. We have Moses' second question. When Moses asked God in chapter 13, well, when I go, when I do this liberating work that you want me to do, and they ask me who sent me, what am I supposed to tell them? Uh, It's really not a question. We have the perspective to know how Moses' life goes after this. And oftentimes you and I will recall uh, the great stories of Moses, that he did go to the Pharaoh. And that he did uh, part the Red Sea with, you know, God did that. But he led those people through the Red Sea. That he was a faithful, he was a strong leader. He was someone who did respond to God. And oftentimes we, we know that about Moses. And so we read things like this really quickly. And we don't pick up on the subtlety that we have a guy here in this moment, in his conversation with God, he's trying everything he can do to get out of it. It reminds one of my first jobs. Uh, I was 18 years old. I graduated high school. It was the first youth ministry job I had. It was at our home church. I was a junior high intern. It was really well paid. And, um, and I remember sitting with my boss, the youth pastor at the time. His name was Mike Stell. And after about six months of being the junior high intern, it was my job. It was my first big thing from start to finish. And he hands me a retreat. Three-day retreat with junior high kids. And so I sit in his office, and he just starts listing all the things that I've got to do. And I'm getting kind of excited in the moment. But then as I walked back to my little office and I started looking at the list, I found myself going back into Mike's office for the next couple days. It went something like this. Um, My job was to get car rental quotes. So I go back to his office, and I said, well, it just dawned on me. I'm only 18. I think you have to be 25 to rent a car. It really wouldn't make sense for me to call. I don't even know the questions that I would ask. So maybe, Mike, you could do that one. Maybe you could call the car company because I don't know how to do that. And then I remember I had to, I had to go figure out the price of snacks. And, and I'm, I, we've been members of Costco before Costco, so I remember Price Club was the place to go, Right. Right, and so I, I knew the snacks I liked at Costco, and I thought this would be the right place to get the snacks for the trip. And I knew it was cheaper. I, I don't know how I knew that, but I knew that this would be the best place. But I didn't have a membership. Mike had a membership. So I went back to his office, and I said, Mike, I mean, I know I'm supposed to get snacks, and we could do it at this place and that place, but, you know, we've got to save money. And I think, I think again, you have a membership to, Co- to Costco. You should, just, you should do that one, at least get the numbers the next time you're there for your family. It keeps going. I've never cooked meals for students before. I don't know what they like. What about their allergies? What are we supposed to do? Maybe we could find somebody else to do that. I remember I had to find a, we wanted to find a miniature golf place on the way back. And I even, even think in my mind, I found a rationale to get out of that one. Like, well, what if they've had bad experiences with youth groups? I'm just an 18 year old intern. They're going to want to talk to the pastor. Right, Because the reality is I spent more time thinking about what and why I could not do something rather than actually doing it. Friends, this is what's happening in Exodus with Moses. 
God has called Moses to be his vessel to liberate the Israelites. You know this is not a new thing for him, right? This isn't a new cause that he's never heard about. This is a cause that he is passionate about. He's so passionate about it that just a few verses earlier, he killed an oppressor. He saw what was happening to these slaves and he was so enraged that he killed an Egyptian. This is a cause that Moses knew about, that he was ejected out of Egypt for, that he has started a new life for. This is something he's thought about, the thought of this group of people, his people, being oppressed. He was familiar with it. And yet when God called him to be used by God to be a part of their freedom, what's his response? Well, who am I? God answers that. Well, what, 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 what do I, should I say about you? He answers that. And we're going to find out next week that he keeps going. He even says, well, what if they don't even hear it? He will find everything in the world to try to get out of this mission. The reality is Moses is just like you and I, right? The reality is that God has called many of us to do some incredible things for him. And oftentimes you and I spend more time thinking about why we can't do something versus actually doing it. And it's oftentimes things we're passionate about, just like Moses. We'll come back to that. I love this verse because it normalizes Moses for me. I'm right here with him. I've never parted a Red Sea. I've never been used by God to liberate a bunch of slaves. But I have been the person who, when God has asked me to do some things, I have tried my best to get out of them, thinking that I am not equipped I'm not prepared. What if nobody likes me? What if they don't hear me? And the list goes on and on and on. And I'll tell you, friends, I've been in church long enough to know that we're all in this boat together. We can be encouraged by Moses' humanness, but I think we'll be more encouraged why we, why we see God's response to him. The first part, we're calling it the question, verse 13. Let's jump to verse 14 and 15. And we're going to call this the response. Actually, the rest of this scripture we're looking at is the response, but we're going to look at the immediate response to Moses' fear. When God says to him, uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. There's two parts uh, in 14 and 15. The first part, God's response to Moses and Moses' fear was his presence. God, and last week Greg did an amazing job helping us understand the value and, and what it would mean in that culture with the I am and the meaning of a name and the authority that comes with the name. And in this first verse 14, I want to call that his presence is a powerful presence. The I am idea is a powerful, powerful presence of God. And when you and I are in moments of fear, we can remember and call upon the powerful presence of God in our lives. He says, tell him the I am sent you. I was 24. I was just finished working at Lake. We were still living in Pasadena. I got hired at Forest Home. And it was my first real job with real money. No offense. I'm really thankful for those internships. Thank you. That was great. But it was like a salary with benefits. And, and I was so excited. And I had a perfectly, and I do one of the foolish, what, uh, foolish thing that most 24-year-olds do when they get a job for the first time. I had a perfectly fine car, but I wanted a new car. I wanted my first car payment for some reason, <laughs> right? And I, I was, I still am good friends with John Wilson. And, and you may know this, but John's dad, Rich Wilson, who uh, is a great part of our community, uh, Rich, Rich owns Pasadena Volkswagen. 
And I remember talking to Rich just at a function saying, I'm ready to buy a car. And, and, and he, he says, great. He said, well, whenever you do that, whenever you get there, just let them know you know me and, and they'll take care of you. So I, I'm, you know, I'm 24 in youth ministry, which means I'm not that much different than I am now. I show up at Pasadena Volkswagen, probably in flip-flops and cargo shorts and a t-shirt because that's the uniform of youth ministry, whether you know that or not. And I show up at Pasadena Volkswagen and I am not being approached by any salesman at all. I'm just looking at cars and all of a sudden somebody does kind of bump up against me. And, and I kind of am nervous because I'm looking at the price and nervous because I've never done this and I'm totally by myself. And when I told that salesman that I knew Rich Wilson and that Rich wanted me to tell you that we're friends, everything changed. When they knew that I knew Rich, welcome to Pasadena Volkswagen. Jeff, please have a seat. What can we do for you? Here's the best deal I can get you. Here's this, that. I mean, you want a Coke? Do you want some water? I mean, it was first-class service because there was power in the presence of Rich's name at Volkswagen, right? And there is power in, in God's name when he says, you tell them, I am sent you. God responds to Moses' fear and reminds him first of his presence. And friends, in verse 14, when he says, I am who I am, it is a powerful presence. It's not just a powerful presence. Look in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. It is not God's presence isn't just powerful. It's also very personal. Isn't that the nature of God that many of us have come to know? Not just this powerful being that's out there orchestrating everything, creating everything, and he's distant from his creation. No. God's presence is not just powerful, it's personal. And so when, 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 when God says, you tell them, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, those Israelites would know those stories. They would know the role of God in those stories. They would know that, that God had chosen those particular individuals to do amazing things. God's presence is personal. It was a link in that when he says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was like he was saying, you know that God you've heard about? You know that God you've heard stories about? The God you've grown up hearing about? That God, that personal God? That God who has conversations with individuals? That God who chooses individuals? That God that uses messed up people? That God, that personal presence of God, it's a link to the past, it's a link to people, it's a link to a personal God, but it's also a link to the present when it says, this is my name forever and from generation to generation. This dual nature, powerful, personal, this is our God. I think oftentimes if we were to, when you think Old Testament, we think powerful, and then it wasn't get really personal until Jesus. The reality is from the very beginning of the scripture, we see a God who is both powerful and personal to his people. And that's probably many of our testimony lands in one of those camps or a mixture of it. I've met several people who came to understand God and faith in God by simply reading the scripture or, or by, or by bling, being blown away with the, the power of God as they've experienced him through the scripture. And then I've met people who've met God because of their, the way God has moved and linked to individuals. You know, for me, I met the Lord my God 
I met the Lord my God uh, through, through the God of Eric Nicholson, through the God of Dave Mahar, through the God of Julia Masterson, through the God of Matt Prince. God had moved in these individuals' lives in a personal and a powerful way. And when I saw them and I saw their faith, I wanted it. I knew God was real. Friends, as much as fear is normal for us when God calls us to his mission, and we have to remember that God's immediate response to Moses is his immediate response to you and I now, you will not be alone. I will be with you. My presence will be with you. And my presence is powerful and it's personal. Sometimes I think we stop there. We have fear. God will respond. And what I love in the rest of this scripture is what we're calling the mission. That God hears Moses' fear. He responds to him with his presence. And then God just keeps on going with what he wants Moses to do. And these are tricky scriptures. There's a lot in here, but let's just pull out a couple things. The first mission that he explains to Moses is what we'll call the mission to the elders of the Israelites. These would have been heads of family or heads of tribe. These would be people who are familiar with the stories of who God was in the past. Moses is sent to these people, to his first mission, is to meet with the elders. And he is, his whole point is to connect the people who knew about God to God. I want, I want you to hear that. The mission that God was sending Moses to was to go to a group of people who knew about God to God himself. Right? I mean, there's a lot of us. A lot of people we know who've heard about God, but many of us would agree there's a big distinction between hearing about God and knowing God. And Moses' first part of his mission was to go connect for these people, this group of Israelites, connect them to the living God, connect them to the personal and powerful God. And then there's the second part of the mission. After he's to connect them, to, to God and, and to help them understand that he is there as an agent of the living God. They together, the elders and Moses, will go to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And there's two points in this kind of dialogue about uh, plundering and gold. And I think it all makes sense. So let's stick with me here. The first thing I want to point out is what he asks Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh and, and they're supposed to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go for three days into the wilderness so that they can offer sacrifices to the living God. Right, You and I, again, if we know the story, we know that this is a good deal that Pharaoh probably should have taken. Right, I mean, so the first instruction to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's first option of obedience to, to God was just let everybody go for three days with a guarantee that they were going to come back. We know that the requests that God is going to give, uh, the demands that God is going to give Pharaoh are going to get increasably harder. Where, where the promise of these people coming back is gone and they will be gone forever. I don't know why it goes that way. But I do know that it's all part of God's powerful and personal plan and it's a graded ask from easing or harder. I think the more important thing I want to look at now is how the, Egypt, how the Israelites will leave Egypt. It says things like, you will not leave empty-handed. 
And this is just one of the first moments of many moments we're going to see through all, throughout the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, where we see this kind of um, attitude and generosity that, that people are to have towards slaves. A lot of slave language, a lot of difficult stuff, a lot of stuff in the, in, in the first five books of the Bible about slavery that, have, that people have misused and, and done some terrible, awful things to people. But I think when we read that language, we see this attitude that when, when the people of God, and we'll see this in Deuteronomy, when the Israelites, when the people of God are to let a slave go, they are not to leave them empty-handed. The idea that when you leave your oppressed state, you have the ability to take on a new identity. You have the ability to go with something to start your life anew. And this idea of not leaving empty-handed, that you will be going somewhere new to form a new identity, we know that that is God's plan for the Israelites. That he's going to choose this group of people to be his chosen people, to the people in which he will demonstrate to the rest of the world what it means to have a relationship with the living God. And when they leave their place of, of oppression, when they leave their state of slavery with nothing they will actually have something. But I find it so interesting, if you know the rest of the story, what they're going to do with some of that gold. Right? Some of them, most of them are going to take some of that gold that God has told them, that God has given them, to form their new identity as his chosen people. They're going to take that gold, and some of them are going to make a golden calf out of it. Right, this is a group of people. This is the formation. Why they even have the gold to begin with is because God doesn't want them to leave empty-handed. He wants to give them a start into their new identity as this chosen people of God. And they're going to take the very thing that God gives them and turn it into an act of total disobedience to God. In essence, when they take what God has given them and they make it into a golden calf, what they're saying to God is we would rather be back in Egypt, we would rather be Egyptian, we would rather be slaves, we would rather be oppressed than to be who we are now. It's a, it's a, it's a slap in the face to God. Uh, what's the point of this? The point is, remember God's powerful presence, His personal presence, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the past. And then we see that he will be the same God from generation to generation. I believe clearly that God was fully aware in this moment what those people would do with the gold. Moses' job in this mission was not anything else than to be faithful. He was not in charge of the results. God calls Moses to be faithful. God calls Moses in the first part of this section to, to go to a people who knew of God and bring them into God's presence, to, to connect them to the living God. And part of his mission wasn't responsible for what they did with that. His job was to be faithful. How many times does our fear, based on thinking we can't deliver the results... When God isn't asking you for results, he's just asking you to be faithful. Let me try to connect this a little bit for us here. The whole argument of fear that we're looking at is all dependent on us understanding that God has called each one of us to be part of his work and to do incredible things for him. And I, we cannot accuse this church of being low on mission. In fact, sometimes I think we drown in it. I mean, open up your worship folder. 
Look at all the opportunities. Walk around in the lobby. Pick up any brochure, any activity. We've got more causes, more things than any church I know. And the reality is we still struggle to be obedient to the mission that God has called us to. Programs, ministries, those are just them. Programs and ministries, the obedience and the people behind them, we struggle all the time to fill those things. I don't know what the mission is for you that God has called you to. I imagine for some of you, the mission that God has called you to that brings up fear in your life is just getting into this room week in and week out. And maybe it causes you anxiety to to just even come to church. Or maybe it causes you fear to even think about trusting God. Maybe for some of you, the, the, the fear that kicks in is about your finances. You hear Adam or you look at the back of the worship folder or the stewardship series that we've been going on and, the, and there is fear for you to really trust God with your money. There's great fear that sets in. If I was to do that, then this account looks lower and I'm not sure how that would work out. We've got plans and we've got the, and, and all of a sudden the excuses and the fear starts pounding in our head. We're all at different levels and different places in, in knowing what God is asking of us, the mission that he's calling us to. But we all suffer from fear for trusting him. I, I just want to, because I need to be faithful, I want to connect this to, I think, one of the more pressing places of mission that God is calling many of us to, but fear is somehow keeping us back. As I've thought about the Israelites, the state of them, and I think about Lake Avenue Church, there's one particular group of people that I see a lot of parallels between the Israelites, and that's our kids. And I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm the children's and student pastor, and I promise you, uh, I don't have a, any personal agenda with this. As I've read the scripture, I see a lot of similarities between the state of the Israelites to the state of our kids in this culture. Uh, the Israelites, slaves. Their identity is based on what they do for somebody else. The state of kids and students in our culture is just that. That kids and students here at a very early age, that their value is based on what they bring to somebody or something. So a kid is valuable as long as they keep playing soccer really well. But I guarantee you if that kid gets hurt, that relationship with the coach most times will stop. Or a kid is told they are valuable and meaningful as long as that school looks good for the school or that family looks good for the family that oftentimes kids don't get the luxury just to be a kid, but they are told at a very early age that their value will be one day. But right now it's just, it's, it's for something else. They benefit someone or something else. There's a lack of personal identity. And the reality is this is that for many of our kids and students, they are just like the Israelites because they have been around this place. They have heard about God. They even might know a whole bunch about the Bible. But at the end of the day, there's a difference between knowing about God and being with God. And I want you to know we've got a bit of a problem. Because I would bet, just like Moses, many of us in this room would be passionate about a children's ministry, passionate about a student ministry. Yes, we need to have those things. Those are crucial to the church. The kids are the future of the church. We even might even tell stories about when we used to do something with kids or used to do something with students. But the reality is this. At 11 o'clock today, there will be less than 10 people working with kids, elementary age kids at this church. Less than 10. 
Because I believe God has called many of us to find a way to give our lives to this mission. To be a part of the liberation of kids and students. To be a part of their discipleship. To bring them into the presence of God. The powerful presence. The personal presence of God. That there are a bunch of kids whose testimony could say something like this. I'm a Christian and I met God because the God of David, the God of Gail, the God of, of, of Reuben, the God of Victor, the God, whoever it is in this room, spent time with me and cared for me. But all of a sudden, many of us right now, we're starting to go through the disqualifications. I'm too old. I can't do that. They won't like me. It's the same excuses of Moses. Friends, I'm not just concerned about getting adults to work with our kids because I like my job. I'm concerned because the future of the gospel and the kingdom is dependent on faithfulness. Faithfulness from those who've gone before to hand down to those who are down below. If you need help connecting to a mission this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that mission. There are tons of missions. And trust me, we can't even take all of you if everybody wanted to do it because... We've got to screen you. We've got to discern. We've got to make sure you're safe and that you're... We've got to do all of that. But the reality is this. I can't remember a time in recent months where we've even brought this need for you. So the band's going to come up and we're going to play a song. And the reason that Jeremy and I chose this song is because um, in the uh, one of the, this version uh, of the song, there's a, there's a refrain that says, Here am I. And students, if you're helping do this, you can stand up now and scatter throughout the worship center. Thank you. You're doing good. They're great. And we just want to give you a moment to sing and worship this song and to respond. And specifically, if this morning you think that maybe just maybe the mission that God is calling you to is to give your life to a kid or a student. That just like Moses, God is calling you to a people, a group of people who who need to experience the personal and powerful God. If God is calling you to that work, this isn't a contract. This is a beginning of a conversation. We want to give you time during this song to stand up. And there's students throughout the worship center and they have a card. We just ask you to grab that, take it back to your seat and fill it out. This isn't a plea for labor. This is a plea for mission. God is calling each one of us to not be scared and to be obedient.